Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Stagecraft, Variety's theater podcast, bringing you backstage and behind the scenes with the stars, creators, and industry leaders keeping theater alive during the pandemic. I'm your host, Gordon Cox. On this episode of Stagecraft, I'm talking to Sarah Bellamy. As the artistic director of the Penumbra Theater in St. Paul, Minnesota, Bellamy is leading the historically black theater company as it evolves over the coming years into the Penumbra Center for Racial Healing. It's a plan that has been in the works since well before the murder of George Floyd, and it's a model that retains its focus on theater and art as integral instigators of change, while at the same time responding to the community's needs around physical and mental health, and pushing for equity through activism, training, and policy work. Bellamy is in the virtual studio with me to tell us about all the ways that Penumbra is evolving, offering us a glimpse of an organization that might serve as a model for theaters around the country. Hey, Sarah, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Before we start talking about the ways in which Penumbra is evolving. I wonder if first, for the listeners who maybe don't know the company and its work, if you could start off talking a little bit about kind of the history of the company over its 44 years and, uh, you know, the ways, the roles it's played both in the in the community locally and nationally. Absolutely. Yeah. So Penumbra Theater is a 44-year-old African-American theater company located in St. Paul, Minnesota, on unceded Dakota land. Um, We are inside the Hallie Q. Brown Martin Luther King Center, which is actually a community center um, that was sort of gifted to the black community when the city um, was doing some sort of reparative work after our major interstate uh, bifurcated the black community that was here. So we're in an historic um, African-American community um, and inside a community center. And uh, we produce work by, for, and about Black folks, but everyone is welcome to join us to witness that work. And our artistic company includes just really incredible artists, directors, playwrights, writers, uh, scenic designers, um, the most notable of which is probably August Wilson, two-time Pulitzer Prize-winning playwright, uh, who got his first professional production at Penumbra. I mean, that's that's actually that's you can actually take credit for launching August Wilson. I mean, it seems like we certainly helped. (laughs) Yeah. And tell us a little bit also about the audience. Where do they are they primarily local to the the city, at least? What's the makeup of the, the folks who come? 
Well, I, so it's interesting. Our audience is um, a mixture of people who have been coming to the theater for that entire time. Um, mm-hmm. And then folks who sort of come based on the projects that we're working on. So I think there's kind of the standard and the rotating, which might be similar to many of the theaters that um, are around us. Something that is mm-hmm. different about our audiences is 40 I would say about 45% of our audience is African-American, which is the highest, um, at least in Minnesota, um, amongst theaters. And um, I would say, you know, there's probably 10% who don't identify as Black, but are people of color and the rest are white folks. Mm. Um, And so I think one of the things that's pretty unique about it is when people come to see plays, depending on the mix of people in the room, their experience witnessing the work is going to be different depending on uh, the demographics of the audience, because people have different cultural responses um, to witnessing work. So that's fun. Yeah. And what prompted its founding back? I mean, you mentioned the, the interstate, but what... It's a community center. What? Who? Whose idea was it that uh, there needed to be a theater company um, associated with it and in that uh, facility? Yeah, that's a great question. So, I the building sort of dictated the birth of the theater. I think um, mm. when I was a little girl, I remember going to the space that's now Penumbra, and there was an auditorium space. Um, there were music halls where people would play piano and violin. There was a dark room. Um, there was a kiln. I mean, there were all of these different mm. spaces where people could engage in the arts because I think this community center, the people who envisioned it understood that the arts are an essential part of wellness for a community. Um, so my dad was hired, I think in 19, I want to say 1974 to administer the arts program. Right. There. Yeah. I was just going to say, oh, actually, we should clarify that you have a very personal connection to the, the, the creators of this, of this theater. Yeah, yeah my dad um, is, is the founder and he yeah. and a group of um, local artists really wanted to create a space where they could add um, dimension to the African-American experience because most of what was being presented on local stages was pretty stereotypical. Um, and so he was given a budget to create an artistic program and they launched their first professional play uh, in 1976, which was Eden. And mm-hmm. it was off to the races from there. Right. And how did you experience, what was your experience of the, of Penumbra as a kid? I mean, it, it seems like you sort of grew up with it uh, for your whole life. I did. I, sometimes I joke that Penumbra is like an older sibling, um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, I, I can't describe how magical it is to have a professional theater to go to when you're small and to watch artists working and to climb around in the costumes and, you know, see the magic get made. Even though I know and have known for many years how all of the the levers and the, you know, where everything is, I'm still, when that, when that curtain comes up, I'm still mystified. Um, there is like a third element that, that is present every night that is Mm -hmm. mind blowing. But I think as a little girl, it, it emboldened me to dream and to be creative and to feel really connected to black community, which was important to me, um, Mm -hmm. for my own racial identity development. Mm. And you took over the theater about three years ago. Is that right? Officially, um, yeah. I was um, yeah. brought in as a co-artistic director in 2012, and then my father retired at our 40th anniversary. Yeah. When and how did you decide to go into the family business? How early uh, on in your life was that a, 
Was that a decision made? I think it was not a conscious decision. <laughs> I, I sort of worked there, you know, from like 15 on in different mm-hmm. capacities. So I've house managed, I've, you know, cleaned dressing rooms. I've worked backstage front right. of house. Um, and I think in my mid twenties, you know, my dad started really having conversations about succession and retirement and, um, that takes time for a founder, you know, it, it, that can take oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. years for a founder to come yeah. to terms with, with retirement. So yeah. we started having the conversation and I wasn't really keen on it until I started to see that I could play a role as a segue really to, because founder transition can be hard on organizations. And I felt like I could really play a role that would be a softer transition mm-hmm. from a founder to a next leader. Right. Yeah. And as I think a lot of theater folks uh, listening will know, August Wilson, who you mentioned, made a speech, you know, almost 25 years ago about that mentioned that talked very much about the importance of um, black theaters and, you know, theaters that concentrate on black artists and black uh, audiences and uh, work for uh, black folks. And he noted the sort of extreme divide in recognition and funding and all of the things between the audience, between the theaters that you know, cater to predominantly white audiences and those uh, sort of, you know, black focused theaters, how much of what he said now 25 years ago still remains true? Far too much of it. Mm. Far too much of it. Uh, And that is so much of my work. I mean, I think a lot of people think as an artistic director, you curate the seasons, you know, you, you um, produce the work. That is all true, but I I learned very quickly when I entered into the artistic directorship at Penumbra, a legacy black institution, that probably a good 35 to 40% of my work would Mm. be activism to shift um, trends within philanthropy that undercapitalize arts organizations of color. And, um, And so what what August shared in that speech was it was ground shaking, but it's, it's not new, you know? And I always say my dad, he spent 40 years trying to convince people. And I've been in the business 15, trying to convince people. And, you know, I think we're finally starting to see the trends shift the Ford foundation, um, American cultural treasures initiative Mm -hmm. is really important. And I think there's other initiatives that are really for the first time doing something about the data that we know that that there's such great disparity. Yeah. Yeah. And that sort of leads into your vision for Penumbra going forward and the Center for uh, Racial Healing. Tell us a little bit about how that started. It sounds like it, it existed as an idea for you well before the events of the last year. I began working on it in 2015 um, mm. as I was trying to think about the next life cycle for this organization. And there were a couple of things that were guiding my inquiry. One, I wanted for Penumbra to, you know, continue to be relevant. I understand why it was needed and necessary in 1976. Why is it needed and necessary today? Mm. Um, Two, how do I um, address the disparities in the market and try to open up more diverse and different um, business streams, both earned and contributed income opportunities for the organization. And then finally, I was really curious about how I would show up as a leader because I'm not my father. He has, he has different gifts than I do. Um, and I wanted to, you know, 
think about what I could contribute. And um, mm-hmm. this racial healing practice is something that I've been um, dedicated to for a long time. So we were on the way there. And then um, George Floyd's tragic murder sort of catapulted us yeah. along into, into the work. Did that push the timeline for you? Did you like, yeah, you hadn't moved that that far ahead on the timeline at that point? That's right. So what kind of happened, um, it was both serendipitous and really awful. Um, mm. So the first thing that happened was the pandemic. We closed right. the theater. And I had been saying the year prior, I really wish we could take a dark year. You know, I wish we could take a year just to plan. Oh. And huh. My managing partner at the time said, you know, I just don't think we're going to be able to swing this because so much of our funding is program specific. This is why general operating support for arts organizations of color is so essential. Mm -hmm. So uh, we said, you know, we'll just try to parallel parallel plan the uh, strat work. And then the pandemic happened. Lo and behold, we were shut down. So we had new, new room to do the strategic planning work. Our initial timeline, I think, to announce was probably several months down the road. Um, Mm. But when George Floyd was murdered, the scars that were opened here, the pain that was so evident and the incredible amount of activism and uprising. And, you know, we wanted people to know that Penumbra would be a resource and that Mm. we'd be working in partnership with leaders here to ensure that um, that we do better as a state. Right. Yeah. You know, for us, the murder of George Floyd and everything that came after it is is a national event. But I feel like St. Paul is so close to Minneapolis that I wonder how much of it felt like a local event for your for the theater and its community. I mean, it's it's incredibly local. It's Mm. it's local. It's localized in some really profound ways. Not only do we have company members who have lost family members to police shootings and police violence, Mm. We have company members who are connected to the Floyd family. We have um, people who live in and around the precinct in that area where everything was burning and where, you know, anarchists were coming through and intimidating people. We have activists in our company who were holding space for community and bringing badly needed goods and supplies and triaging. Uh, so yeah. I mean, we are, we were extremely proximate to it. And um, I think the thing that's, that's interesting about it is we know nationally that this is not an episodic thing that every summer there's this spate of, of death, unfortunately for the African-American community, but having it that close and having the, the uprising be so intense, um, that was new. That was, I remember reflecting. So I have a new baby. Um, he was just a few, you know, he was young when George Floyd was murdered. And I remember nursing him. And then I remember reflecting on my four-year-old and nursing him when Philando Castile was killed. And I just had this profound moment of like, this is what my babies are being born into. And like, how do I protect them? You know? So. Yeah. Yeah. And so then initially right off the bat, how did Penumbra respond? And then how did that um, move into your vision for moving forward with your vision for the Center for Racial Healing? Well, you know, the first thing that we did was hold space for artists because we were in the midst of actually a beta test on a racial healing artist institute. And we got word on the call that day and changed the agenda and just 
just did the work we were dreaming about, the racial healing work in, in that virtual room. It was profound. It was deeply painful. It was healing. Um, it is not done. Right. So there was that. And then I think the thing that I felt compelled to do as sort of the institutional voice of the organization was to just ask for patience while we grieved, because I think everybody wants to ask black community and those moments, what do we do? What's next? How do we, we just needed to we just needed to grieve. We needed a little space where we were allowed to process our emotions because um, that's part of mourning. That's part of getting better and stronger. So those were the two kind of immediate things. And then we started working with artists to support efforts to um, hold community, you know, whether it right. was creating art projects that could raise awareness, um, writing essays, um, volunteering to deliver goods, donating to food shelves. I mean, there was a bunch of stuff that we we were doing yeah. practically and um, artistically. I'll have more with Sarah right after the break. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And now, here's more with the Artistic Director of Penumbra, Sarah Bellamy. Tell us more about the specifics of your vision for the Center for Racial Healing. Sort of what will it do that you're not doing already? Or what is it expanding that only exists in, you know, a, a lesser, a less... Uh, broad form now. Yeah. So um, Penumbra's art has always been sort of a portal into difficult conversations and to acknowledging um, the beauty and atrocity of our American history. And um, I think I was always concerned when you open that channel in people and then they leave the theater, it's like, oh, where are they going? Are they going to be okay? You know, like how do we actually kind of extend our arms around them a little bit longer and then embolden them now that now that you feel your way into this reality that other people are experiencing, let's equip you to be able to do something. So for me, the essential equation that's going to guide uh, the Center for Racial Healing and all of the program and curricular design is that you need the art, you need bold, beautiful art to dream liberation, to dream our way into things that we haven't yet experienced. We need wellness so that these bodies, which are taking on the toxic stress of racism, which we know are directly attributable to chronic diseases like hypertension, certain kinds of cancers, stroke, heart attack, all of those things, by the way, make us more susceptible to COVID-19, right? How do we actually attend to these bodies so they can relax and reset and bring that parasympathetic nervous system back online and feel safe in our bodies? So that wellness component. And then the, the equity piece for me is like, now you've got these people who are dreaming big and they're starting to feel well in their bodies. We need the world to be safe and ready for them. So how do we enact policy? How do we mm -hmm. habituate practices um, so that the world is ready to, and, and more compassionate? So that's the work, art, wellness equity equals racial healing. 
And how much of, can you give us a sense of what that expansion, like sort of how much you're, you envision your staff uh, expanding or your operating budget or your, uh, you know, physical uh, space? But what, what are the kind of some of the specifics in terms of how, the ways in which it is growing? Yeah, all of that is like being <laughs> built right now. I mean, I think yeah. what we do know is that um, the theater will continue. We will continue to produce. I think we might produce a little bit differently. We're really ramping up our commissioning programs so that we can support artists who are kind of making work about the moment. I will always, as long as I'm there, commit to producing classics out of the Black theater canon because I think that's a real important role for Penumbra. Mm. Um, you know, but what we don't have physically, we do not have the wellness space that we need. You know, I hope that. And, and what would that look like, actually? For, let me interrupt. What would that look like? I mean, I hope if you can imagine a place, a beautiful retreat center where you can come in and there's a full service spa where there are meditation rooms, where there's open rooms where people can hold space, whether they want to attend a yoga session, conduct one, you know, like it should be usable for us to program and for the community to program. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, beautiful housing for artists to come and be in residence for us and actually be able to retreat from the busyness of their lives. Um, That's the wellness side. The the Mm -hmm. racial equity programming for us is about developing leaders And I think that, you know, if you could imagine this, going to a place where you could have a great meal, see a play, have a powerful conversation about it, and come back later in the weekend to hear a seminar or get a massage or, you know, like a place where you're actually continually being replenished and challenged um, and nurtured. That's what we're hoping to create. Right. And is there a, often nonprofit organizations will launch a capital project, you know, a fundraising project to sort of start uh, raising the funds to, in many cases, to, you know, expand their building or build a new building or whatever. Um, is there one attached to the Center for Racial Healing or, and will there be? I think we're about 18 months out of a capital campaign, but yeah, okay. we yeah. will need to raise money in order to realize this vision for sure. Right. And how, actually, one thing we haven't discussed yet is sort of how big your theater, like how big is the house? Uh, and do you have just one space or is, is there more than one? We have one space. That's what we I thought. We have a yeah. 260 seat house. It is um, right. very intimate. In fact, when we go and play in other theaters, um, for example, when we've co-produced with the Guthrie, our, our audience mm. always miss that proximity to the art, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, one space and... Um, and we typically do four to five shows annually. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so what do you imagine um, materializing first in terms of your plan to go forward? What 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 is the first sort of new initiative that you feel like will come online uh, as we look ahead in the coming months? Well, we've already started piloting some of the programming. Um, mm-hmm. The way that I tend to work is to kind of create a test kitchen and then build off of that. So um, one of the programs that we've already launched is called the Ashe Lab. It's an interdisciplinary space for artists to both retreat and then create really powerful art that speaks to this moment. Um, So there's a cohort already in practice right now, and we're learning a great deal from and with them. Um, Our racial equity programs are already available. 
um, and we moved them all to the virtual space in April. Right. So we train, you know, we train people all over the world now because of the virtual, you know, opportunity. That was actually one of my questions was how the sort of digital initiatives that were kind of prodded by COVID have, do you envision those furthering the work you're doing in general? Absolutely. In the racial equity space. I mm, am yeah. so loath to try to make art <laughs> in the mm-hmm. virtual space. I find it deeply frustrating, but I also mm-hmm. really miss it. Um, mm-hmm. And and there's been some moments where we've had some, some real breakthroughs and, and, and power, but I, I just don't know if it mm-hmm. translates, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So we're going to, we're going to have a holiday concert coming up and, um, mm-hmm. and we'll see how we go with that. But yeah. I, I miss, I miss live productions and I'm trying to hold everything I can until we can be back in person. Yeah. And as the, the evolution that Penumbra is uh, going through right now is all happening at a moment when we nationally in the theater industry are talking about the ways in which it, the, the industry can and should change in order to increase equity. How much of what Penumbra is doing do you see as specific to your theater in particular? And how much do you imagine serving as a model for what theaters can do all around the country? Well, I hope that what we do will be useful for other folks. You know, I think the more people trying to support racial equity efforts in this country, the better. I mean, we need everybody in this work. I also think that it it requires a great deal of discernment. So Mm. I don't see this as a moment where predominantly white institutions should um, concentrate on targeted, and I'm putting air quotes up, targeted outreach to communities of color at this time, I actually feel like a much more powerful role for them would be to do some in-reach with white patrons to help practice having conversations about racial equity. Um, That feels like a a big swath of folks that we need to make sure are in the conversation. So I think it requires discernment and, and to understand where you can be the most potent and and contribute the most to this national effort. Yeah. Yeah. That actually you beginning to answer the next question I had, which was what sort of blind spots do you see in the national conversation that you feel like we should be paying attention to that we're not? Well, I think honestly, the American theater is lagging behind as a whole. The whole ecosystem is lagging behind philanthropy right now. And that wasn't the case maybe two years ago. Philanthropy hmm. is willing to acknowledge uh, the disparity, but I think the business imperative in theater is not allowing certain organizations to really embody their participation in the um, the inequity of the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. So they haven't quite figured out how to pivot to support more equitable um, relationships. And they, uh, many, many leaders want to, I get, I, I'm on the phone with people all the, t- all the time about this. Um, but they're entrenched, especially the very large ones. It's hard. Um, and, you know, some of our internal processes really belabor the process of being responsive to community. I mean, when you have to get every little thing approved by your board and go through a marketing committee and, you know, that, that limits leaders ability to be truly responsive and live in the moment. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think Hmm. they have to, 
they have to have a mandate, an institutional mandate to do this work. And they have to be um, clear with all of their um, different constituencies that mistakes will be made and, and you just have to learn as you go. You know, I think that's one of the things I benefit from at Penumbra is they, there's a lot of trust. And I know that if I make a mistake, I have the opportunity to, to learn from it, you know? Yeah. Did you find that, uh, reminds me of a question that occurred to me as, as you were building the, this vision for, uh, the center, did you have the support of your board? Because that's the thing that, you know, leaders of nonprofit organizations, they need support from their audiences and their board. And as you mentioned, all the constituents, how did you, how difficult uh, of, a, of a proposition did you find this? Uh, I mean, I think for a lot of years, so I started this in 2015, many of the board members who came on to the board to support Penumbra Theater under Lou Bellamy were like, mm-hmm. What? Where's, where's the art? Like, where is the art? They kept saying that. And I'm like, the art is the way. The art is mm-hmm. the path. And they just couldn't, you know, they were they were worried about losing sight of the art. Um, when I presented to the board uh, a deck that kind of really made the case about this region, and in particular, the incredible disparity for Black and Native folks in Minnesota, they were like, oh, okay, we get it. And I'll never forget one of my board members at the time, he said, this is, a, this is, this is, this solves so much of what we're working on in the corporate sector. This is a million dollar idea. You know, why, why is, why is no one else doing this? And I think a lot of people just didn't feel the authenticity to step into the space possibly, and to bring all of these different elements together. And then lo and behold, two years later, Ford Ford gifts us $2.5 million out of the blue. I mean, we didn't solicit that money. Oh, no? No. I mean, that was, can you imagine getting a call from? (laughs) No. I talked to him on a Tuesday at seven in the morning and and he was like, so, and I was like, you're kidding, right? Like, where where is Ashton Kutcher? Like, what's going on? Um, And it was amazing. I told him, I said, I want your job. I want to call people and tell them I have money to give them. But so we we leapt into this knowing that it was the right thing to do, thinking that there might be revenue opportunities. That was a lot of what I felt burdened by is like, how do I make it clear that this actually can be the lifeline that the organization needs? But we couldn't have known. You know, I think we we felt the inequity and knew that there were things that were possible, but we couldn't have known how much it would align with this moment, with the pandemic, with the incredible... Right tension around race in this country right now. Yeah. Yeah. What strikes you looking ahead as sort of the greatest challenge for the goals that you're setting for the organization? Uh, Well, there are probably quite a few, but I think Mm -hmm. the things that come to mind most immediately is this vision will only work if the community owns it along with us. It, there, we need to increase the porousness between our organization and the community. They need to feel uh, like it is theirs. So that's one. Um, the The second piece, I think, would be if philanthropy, um, you know, if it if it falls prey to a common trend throughout the decades, which is the bright and shiny objects. You know, they need sustained commitment to arts organizations of color. And one year, 
three years, 10 years of concerted transformative investment is not going to crack, you know, a hundred years of chronic disinvestment. So that equitable work needs to be sustained for a long time. And so I think we need funder partners to be in this work with us for the long haul. And what do you see as the reasons for optimism? What's giving you hope? Oh my gosh, so much is giving me hope. Mm -hmm. Um, The creative resiliency of Mm -hmm. artists that we work with. I mean, the the generosity, um, the leadership that is everywhere in this community amongst young people, folks who are re-engaging now with a renewed sense of vigor because they see that there are as many people, um, you know, kind of pulling for more racial equity in this country as there are not. <laughs> you know, I think we didn't know that a while ago. Um, so right. Feeling more more empowered. Um, I, I think the other thing that's giving me a lot of hope is that in every training that I facilitate, I am hearing people talk about mental health, about our wellness, because everyone is experiencing the strain of the pandemic, we're finally starting to realize how important it is to attend to the human being, not just the role. And that would be really powerfully healing for, for this country. Yeah. Before we sign off, who are some of the artists and or plays that you feel like uh, we should, haven't gotten enough attention nationally, who you feel like we should be paying attention to? Oh, wow. Um, there are, there are so many. Um, the first one that comes to mind uh, is Harrison David Rivers, uh, mm-hmm. a two-hander called This Bitter Earth that we produced some time ago. Um, it is about a movement. It is about, um, you know, somebody dying and the activism that, that has to happen and then how that lands on a couple, an interracial um, gay couple. Um, I think, you know... We have been producing Aoife Baeza's work. The Emmett Till trilogy is a powerful corollary between, you know, what happened in 1955 to that 14-year-old boy and what happened to George Floyd, vis-a-vis like photographic evidence and then video evidence. And then still in the wake of both of those things, people saying that what happened didn't happen. So that's an excellent portal back into history, but also saying history is still alive and present with us. So... Um, the Ballad of Emmett Till, Benevolence, and The Summer and Sumner are those three plays that I just think people should look at. Right. Yeah. And how? What are ways that people can support Penumbra, especially those of us who don't live in the in the St. Paul area? Well, I you know I think take an earnest interest and make a commitment to join us in racial equity work. Everybody can help. Um, mm-hmm no matter where you are in terms of how experienced you are, you know, we need everybody in the, in this fight. Um, If people feel so moved to donate, you know, they can donate to our efforts. Um, Just visit the website, poke around, learn about our initiative, ask us tough questions. You know, I think we want to hear from people and um, we want to hear from people who want to partner and who are ahead of us in this work. And um, because we realize we're not, you know, some of what we're building out we're new to and there are other people who are who are leading that so right yeah well i look forward uh to watching penumbra develop and evolve uh and 
as we all return to to the point where we can all be in the same room uh, again someday. Um, so thank you so much, Sarah. Thanks for your time. It was great to talk to you. Thank you so much. That was Sarah Bellamy, the Artistic Director of the Penumbra Center for Racial Healing. If you like what you're hearing on this and other episodes of StageCraft, I'd really appreciate it if you took the time to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us grow our audience of folks who love theater as much as you and I do. Or tell a friend. You can find past episodes of StageCraft or subscribe on Apple Podcasts and on all the other pod places, including Spotify and on the Broadway Podcast Network which is another great place to find more theater for your ears. I'll be back next week with another new episode. Thanks for listening, and see you soon. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.